Hello and welcome to episode two of the Riding the Pine podcast presented by KTSW Sports, breaking down the latest and greatest news in college sports world and beyond. If you missed episode one, you can find it on the KTSW podcast or on the Texas State Student Media SoundCloud account. I'm Andrew Zimmel, joined by the most valuable role player, the MVRP, Brendan Snow. Yo, let's get it. I, I got that history of being a role player. I got tweets, pe- people calling me a great role player. It's a fact. You can't dispute it. He's the Juwan Howard of the podcast. This conversation of the week is with Pete Spratt, the MMA and UFC fighter, both training and fighting. You'll want to listen to that. Plus, we have the worst audio of the week. And this week, Brendan gets to make the picks after I went 3-2 and two last week. I didn't go a perfect 5-0, but, you know, that's what happens. Yeah, can we point out you were re- really wrong on the... Uh... TCU beating Oklahoma and Saints being Buffalo beating or in Buffalo beating the Saints. That should be a couple of losses because they were really lopsided games. Never bet on the Buffalo Bills. Stick around. All right, thanks for tuning back in. I know episode one went really good. Um, we had almost 100 streams within the first like three days, so that was a really big uh, step. We had 69 streams actually on the second day, so that was that was a nice step. We we had the uh, goal set at 100, so we almost reached it. This week, I know we're gonna get it. Yeah, definitely keep keep spreading the word out there. If you're listening, we're gonna keep spreading the word. Uh, these shows are just gonna keep getting better as they go along. Uh, like I said, we have a we have a UFC MMA fighter that we talked to for this one, you know, so we get some pretty good stuff out there. And we talked to Nigel Pearson last week, and then, of course, this week he showed up and played really well. The team ended up losing yesterday 65-57 to Air Force, the academy in Colorado. So that was a good first step for this team. But a lot of the fans were complaining about the calls. And this is something I've noticed a lot from not only people from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but from the people that go to uh, Texas State. A lot of people complained about the calls. Yeah, I mean... In a game like this, I'm not going to look too much at the calls. Uh, coming into it, I don't know what our expectations were. We we were talking about uh, Air Force is a pretty good, pretty good just school for sports anyway. They have a solid football program, a pretty decent basketball program up there. Said so the team had to travel up to Colorado. Uh, their first game, first real game of the season after playing, you know, not even D1 schools before that in the exhibition game. So it's really just a tune-up game. The team had a lot of turnovers that you want to see them clean up. You know, 20 turnovers from the team. Nigel Pearson shot 5 of 16 and was the only player in double digits. So, you know, it's just early in the season, still figuring things out and getting it together. Uh, they have some things to work on, but they're going to be all right. See, if we're going to do the overreaction, underreaction, I'm underreacting to this. I don't think that this is a big deal at all. In fact, I don't even understand why a lot of people around the team were kind of, you know, stressing about this game. It was on ESPN3, so that's the first issue. Not a whole lot of, uh, you know, coverage for this game. I mean, you, if you have the Watch ESPN app, you got it, but... There's not a whole lot of coverage for this game because it wasn't that, I don't think, that important of a game. I think the first actual home game is going to be a lot more uh, under the microscope. Yeah, and that game's uh, Wednesday against UTSA, so I'd hope so. I'd hope to see a good turnout there. Everyone that was complaining better be out there. We're going to be out there for sure because we want to see that, you know, they got, they got us in football, but we think we have them We have them in basketball. We have them in basketball. UTSA is not a good basketball program. They've never been a very good basketball program. They're home court is called the birdcage okay there's no there's no uh comparison here the women's basketball team however came up and uh, at first a lot of people thought it was an upset i don't really think it was an upset the team came out and beat texas tech 87 70 
really dominant team or was it a fluke? It's a little bit about, I'm not going to say a fluke, but you know, Taylor Deer is not going to drop 44 points uh, every game. She, I don't think she's going to do it that often. She's had a great coming out party going out there uh, in tech. Like I said, putting up 44 points. Uh, Tosh, Toshua Levitt put up a pretty solid game also. And it, it, this team did what we thought they were, thought they were going to be. They're a shooting team. Not you know they're not a big team down low. They got they're going to beat you from the outside and with jump shots and moving the ball. And Texas Tech, I think, got a little bit of a wake up call. They probably thought, oh, it's you know Texas State will be all right, and that wasn't the case. Well, this Texas Tech team wasn't very good last year. They went fourteen and seventeen, five and thirteen in conference play. So they're not a very. This wasn't a good team coming in. So Texas State, um, a lot of fans should have expected. Uh, the win, and I, they got the big, big win. It was a good good win beating a Big 12 opponent, so it makes the Sun Belt Conference look a little bit better. Moving on now to, of course, the meat and potatoes of this podcast every single week is the Texas State football team, who ended up losing 33-30 to to Georgia State, which, in fact, proved me calling these games correct and wrong at the same time. Even when I win, I lose, Brendan. The spread on that game was minus four in favor of the Panthers, Texas State was able to keep it close, only lost by three. So I called the game correctly. I missed the spread. Yeah, and it was a game that the Bobcats looked really good, and we, I was talking about I thought it was going to be a close game. Georgia State didn't have an impressive resume to me, uh, winning some of those close games against lower-end teams. And you saw the same thing here. Texas State had the offense going. Damian Williams had a really nice outing. But kind of the it kind of the story of the team shifted from the beginning of the year. We're talking about the offense couldn't move the ball at all, and the defense was keeping them in the games. Now it kind of seemed to flip. Uh, the defense has been struggling the past few weeks, and the offense has gotten it going. A lot of banged-up players on the defensive side of the ball. Offensive side of the ball, it only took them, what, seven weeks to figure out what's happening. So to kind of illustrate, all spring, summer, beginning of fall practice, seven weeks into the season, it took this team to come up and figure out how to get the offense together. So I'm not going to put it all the blame on the defense. A lot of the seniors that uh, kind of talked this last week, because it was the last home game, uh, for these seniors last time they're going to play in San Marcos. Um, a lot of them were kind of, oh, we're one year away, we're one year away, which is good. It's heartening to me to see th- that the players who have bought into Everweather system thinks that they, they are one year away. But here's the question, four wins next year. Is that is that the bar for this team? I think you definitely have to win four or five games. If you come out and you win two or just three again, People will be calling out Withers' job even more than they already have last, already have been this year, and it'll be a little bit rightfully so because around year three, four, that's when you're supposed to see those turnarounds. And if you go first year two wins, second year two wins, you have to see some improvement in that third year four, five wins. I agree completely. I think that I really do think that this team is going to be one that has a bounce back year next year. I but we've we speculate speculated who's going to be the addition to the Sun Belt Conference because at this point, the wet, furthest West team was the New Mexico Aggies, which was a real question why they were in the Sun Belt Conference when a lot of those conferences, it's pretty much SEC little brother when you think about how many teams are in that kind of Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia area. So now with New Mexico State leaving, Idaho leaving, it just leaves Texas State, the only Western school in the Sun Belt Conference. You have to think who's going to come in. UNT is now playing for their Conference USA championship. UTSA beat Texas State really badly at the beginning of the season. Um, but their season kind of tapered off, fell off. So it kind of raises the quiet. You have to speculate who's going to be the addition in the Sun Belt Conference. Yeah, we haven't heard much uh, on that. What's going to be? I kind of like the idea of uh, UTEP. UTEP has been playing 
too well lately, and they're also in Conference USA. You know, a team that's in the desert would make sense to come be in uh, the Sun Belt Conference. I think it'll probably be another Texas team because Texas State would it probably be best if Texas State could build some kind of you know rivalry right here in the Sun Belt Conference in state like that. Not only would that make money for Texas State, which is you know that's the goal of these programs is to make a little bit of money, but it also would make the Sun Belt Conference look a little bit better. You have another team kind of. Um, UTEP isn't a good school. It's not like a good powerhouse school, but it has been bad in the past. So you have a little bit more pedigree coming into the, uh, into the Sunbelt Conference. I like them coming in and kind of adding that team, but I think that it needs to be um, a stronger team. Because if you have like a, if you have a UNT who's now proven that they are they're the next big thing, UTSA, they're coming for people. They're headhunting. I think that that adds more people wanting to watch those games brings more fans to the stadium. Cause I mean, if you look at Texas state's fans, uh, to out or turnout, it's not great. But if you look at other schools around the area, UT played Kansas this last weekend. They had a tough sell trying to sell out those stadiums. So if you have bigger teams, UTSA, UNT are the two big ones I'm thinking, I think that sells out more stadiums. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of, a lot of variables that go into, uh, Making a decision like this, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Like I said, I'd rather it be some, just at least some sort of Texas team. Uh, and for Texas State sake point, you're you're saying that you want it to be a little bit of a bigger team so to generate revenue and fans and stuff like that. Yeah. On the other side, if it's you know a team like UTEP, it's a game you can win. Well, we already have games that we quote unquote should win. You you have your Georgia Southerns, your Coastal Carolina, two of the worst programs in the nation. You don't want to add another one. Because at that point, the Sun Belt Conference is just the, the, the teams that are just, you know, can't get into a bigger conference. I mean, anything that can help you get bowl eligible. <laughs> I like that. All right, moving on now to the conversation of the week with Pete Spratt. This is a really uh, good conversation. I actually was put on to this guy um, from my optometrist. So if you haven't got your eyes checked out lately, you should go. You might end up with a really good, uh, good connection. All right, I know Brendan had a question right off the bat for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, was, I was digging into your personal life a little bit, and I saw learned some things about you uh, in your college football days. So, right, h- how does that transition go from being a great college receiver at a and these NAIA schools between Louisiana and Oklahoma to the fighter you became? Uh, I mean, I used I used the mixed martial arts and the fighting stuff as a as a way to stay in shape during the off season. So that's kind of kind of what led me down that path. And when the uh, the NFL stuff didn't didn't work out. It was just kind of a, like a natural progression for me to to go into what I had been already been doing during the summers, and and that was the the fighting thing. Now, talk to us a little bit about that. What this like? How you got into that? Who like kind of got you into uh, fighting now? Uh, well, uh, there was a couple of twins. A friend of mine named Larry Roberts back in the day, and then there was a couple of twins that were training and actually fighting. Uh, professionally, way back then, we're talking probably ninety, probably ninety-seven or so. Uh, that I met those guys, and uh, you know, I was just training and everything. And then uh, I started to beat them a couple of months into my training, and uh, they asked me if I if I wanted to fight. I was like, sure, I'll try anything once. And uh, I fought at a small uh, uh, bar in uh, Colleen, Texas, called Wild Rose. And uh, that was where I made my debut, and I think I fought for like, I don't know, 25 or 50 bucks. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But, uh, and that just kind of, that was the start of uh, of my career, unbeknownst to me, way back then. 
So talk to us a little bit about the guys that you have like right now that you're coaching. I have a, I have several guys. I have, I have a team of probably about 12 to 15 uh, professional amateur fighters uh, combined. Uh, actually, right now I'm getting ready to leave today uh, for Houston, my heavyweight, which is a San Antonio police officer named uh, Richard Odom. He is defending his uh, World Heavyweight Championship with the uh, Legacy Fighting Alliance live on TV, on Access TV Friday night. And then I have another gentleman by the name of Eric Showtime Shelton. He's in the UFC, and we will be leaving for his fight. <clears throat> uh, he'll be fighting November 18th in Sydney, Australia, on one of the uh, UFC fight night cards. And then uh, from there, I come back to San Antonio. I have another fighter that's fighting on a Latin-based promotion called Combate Americas. His name is Jesse Almarez, And he'll be fighting here at the uh, Freeman Coliseum, on uh, December 1st here in San Antonio, Texas. And then I will be making my return to the cage on December 9th in San, Diego, San Antonio, Texas at um, Cowboys Dance Hall for uh, Fury Fighting Championships. Wow, talk to us a little bit about how you got, you went out of the ring, you retired, now you're coming out of retirement. What made you want to get back in the ring? I pretty much got called out, pretty much. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I had been, been kind of touching on, you know, possibly coming back and fighting. And then uh, somebody asked to fight me, and that just uh, hit my competitive juices because I was already training anyway because I was training with all the guys anyway, preparing them for fights. So it wasn't like, you know, the four years I had just been sitting around not doing anything. I was already I was already training anyway. It's just It was just a matter of me turning up my training a notch and uh, preparing myself to fight again. So, you know, once he pretty much called me out, uh, I decided to get back in there. And Pete, you've you've competed in forty eight uh, mixed martial arts uh, matches, fights. What which one was the the biggest marketed one? Or I mean, actually, the I competed one. in fifty fifty MMA fights and then eighteen professional kickboxing and Muay Thai matches as well. Fifty and, uh, fights? I don't yeah, think I've ever. I don't think I've even. MMA fights. I don't think I've even seen fifty fights. Yeah, fifty MMA fights and then another. I've had a total of about close to eighty fights total. Wow, and which one of those fights were the maybe? Let's go with the biggest one personally. Do you which one do you remember the most and why? Uh, personally, the one that I remember the most is uh, one in Brazil uh, that I took on ten days' notice, and uh, I knocked the guy out the last second of the last round with a spinning back fist. That's probably the one that stands out to me the most, but. The one I'm probably most famous for is beating Robbie Lawler uh, at UFC 42 in what was that? Probably 03. That's that's kind of the the staple fight that everybody refers to when uh, when my name comes up. What's it like to be kind of that well known for knocking a guy out? Uh, I mean, I've been an athlete all my life, so uh, as far as being known, that's been something that that's always been a part of my life. So. Um, that it hasn't been that big of a transition. Um, I mean, it's cool. It's flattering. Uh, at one point, you know, I'm from a small town from Sherman, Texas. So as I began to, to get more well-known uh, around the world, uh, I used to see people out. And I would see people pointing and kind of staring and whispering at their friends. And, you know, I'm from, from a small town. It's like, you know, wow, why do, why do you do staring at me? You know? <laughs> 
and and I would get a little offended by it. And then one of my friends would be like, "Bro, they probably saw you on TV." I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you're probably right." So, so talk to us a little bit about what how big UFC has been getting in the last like five to ten years. It seems just to blow up overnight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's huge, man. I mean, uh, they've mixed uh, martial arts has has grown. It's uh, it's pretty much on TV all the time. Uh, with uh, with the different promotions, uh, UFC, Bellator, uh, a couple of other smaller promotions, that, and it's on TV constantly. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of things that needs to be worked on as far as uh, uh, taking care of fighters. But uh, you know, the popularity of the sport is, is beyond where I thought it would ever be. And you know, you think about the UFC being sold for four point two billion dollars. That tells you exactly how huge uh, the mixed martial arts market is. Uh, looking at some of your, you know, your fights, who has anyone really stuck out as like a rival or someone that you know, had the most disdain for? No, not particularly. So uh, nothing like spills over. It's pretty much just in the you're in the ring, and then after the ring, everything's cool. Yeah, pretty much for the most part. What about I mean, it's pretty much, it's pretty much like that. I mean, there's there's only a few guys that kind of have like a, a a rival thing outside of the ring, but for the most part, uh, if there's some stuff going on outside the ring, you, I mean, just pre- almost just like with any with anything, you know, you get in there, you compete with each other, you shake hands, and it's done. What about back in uh, 07, You fought T.J. Waldberg Waldberger twice. Where is the uh, where's the trilogy of that one? Is y'all split that? Y'all, y'all split that one one. Well, his coach after that fight, his coach didn't want to didn't want to do a trilogy, and uh, I mean I was cool with that. I mean because initially when I fought and lost to him the first time, he was a last minute replacement, and then the promoter actually allowed him to weigh in five pounds heavier for the fight, which I wasn't told, and uh, so I ended up doing the fight anyway. I got caught by triangle, but I knew that I could beat him. And so the next time it came around, they were having some issues with uh, with filling the fight card. Fighters were falling off. And I told the promoter, I said, if anything happens and a fighter falls off and there's any possible way that you can get me a rematch with TJ, that's the fight I want. And fortunately, somebody got injured or fell out. They ended up matching TJ and myself together again. And then I showed showed them exactly, you know, my capabilities and what I was going to do, and uh, I knocked him out in the first round. Wow. Talk to us a little bit about what you do. I know the training takes up a whole lot of your life. What do you do outside of UFC fighting? Uh, I own a gym. Um, I'm pretty much at the gym all the time. If I'm not at the gym, I'm, I'm spending time with my daughter, taking her to volleyball practice and stuff like that. But pretty much uh, I'm in the gym or I'm at home or I'm, at a, or I'm on the road with fights. What do you some of your uh you have any pre fight routine, like a certain meal that you eat or playlist that you listen to that you go to I every mean, fight? I don't, I don't know. It's been four years since I've done it, so Well you're gonna have to get into no, you're gonna have to get into was, some sort of rhythm. That that was a long time ago since I've done it, so you know, we'll 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 kinda see what happens. But you know, typically I, I just train. All right, so tell us just one tra- more one more time where you're gonna be, where we can see your post retire oh your coming out of retirement fight. All right, my fight will be streamed live on uh, flowcombat.com. That's F-L-O-C-O-M-B-A-T.com. 
if you can't get to the venue. Uh, if you can get to the venue, it's going to be a San Antonio uh, Cowboys uh, Cowboys dance hall in San San Antonio, Texas, on December 9th. Uh, you can get tickets. You can you can uh, catch me on Facebook at Pete Spratt, or you can uh, check with me on Twitter at I am Pete Spratt and uh, Instagram on I am Pete Spratt if you want to get tickets from me directly. All right, we'll have to give you a follow-up. Thank you for talking to us. Sure thing, no problem. Brendan, I really do think that that set the bar high for the rest of the conversations coming up down the road. I'm re- I thought it was really interesting. No, yeah, he was definitely real fun to talk about, fun to research, seeing you know, uh, all that he's done in his MMA career, learning that he played uh, college football before he was a fighter, his uh, smaller NAIA schools in uh, uh, Louisiana and Oklahoma, but he was a big-time receiver when he played there, and... It's really cool to see how, you know, like he said in the interview, he's be played football and then decided he used UFC and MMA to stay in shape in the offseason. And then after after football, he's like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Let me stick with this and made a career out of it. All right. Shifting gears here. The Major League Baseball came to an end. We saw the Houston Astros win. Congratulations, uh, Parker, Reed and Adam for your team winning one championship after losing 600 games over a 10 year period. That's beside the point. The point of this is, though. MLB MVP is coming up. You know my favorite uh, in the American League uh, division. I really do think Aaron Judge should be have a really close look at it, but I think Jose Altuve is going to edge him out. Yeah, uh, same here. I, Judge is going to have a, a solid case, but he's going to get Rookie of the Year already. I'm not saying just because he's getting Rookie of the Year is not going to be the reason he doesn't get uh, MVP. I truly think it's going to it's Altuve. He's had such a dominant season, been overlooked a little bit for most of his career, and after putting up some numbers like he did. And yeah, the voting happens before the World Series, but after seeing them make that postseason run and all that, you have to think it's Jose Altuve. Which really bothers me, to be completely honest, because, I mean, he's a good baseball player, whatever, but I do think it makes a better story to have the Rookie of the Year and the MVP coming from the Yankees. I know that nobody likes the Yankees. I'm not a Yankee fan. Or I'm not... You know, I'm not trying to go that way. What I am saying, though, is Major League Baseball needs to have as many good storylines as possible. This would be a really good storyline. But if Jose Altuve doesn't win, you can see um, stadiums being burned to the ground, Brendan. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big believer in the storylines like that if it means you're going to be robbing someone of being getting the proper recognition. Because what's the point of playing if it's just going to be, oh, it should be the Yankees, it should be the Red Sox, and it should be the big franchises? Well, what I'm, I don't know. I, I just think that it makes a really good story to have Aaron Judge win the MVP too. Talk to us a little bit about who the other uh, candidate is for the American League. Yeah, the American League MVP comes down to just three players. It's Jose Altuve, Aaron Judge, and then uh, Mike Trout, who's, like we know, uh, the, re- the reigning MVP but missed a lot of time this year, and the Angels missed the playoffs again. And Trout, Trout's just that such a dominant player, but being in L.A., not winning a lot of games, uh, nothing flashy about him, you know. Ho- you know, Jose Altuve gets the story. He's a 5'5", five, five, uh, second baseman. Aaron Judge is a beast monster. I hit 50 home runs. He's a Superman. He's Superman. And then Mike Trout just does everything exceptionally well. He, he arguably over- is the best baseball player in the game right now. Like him and Bryce Harper are two of arguably the best all-around baseball players. Can play defensively, can hit for power average, uh, have great speed. So if Mike Trout, he's the dark horse this year, but every year he should probably be uh, the leader in that category. Yeah, and uh, once again, just a shame that the Angels haven't been as good as they probably want. You know, after spending all that money on some of these players and pool holes and stuff like that, and not being able to make the playoffs still in the last few years, definitely kind of wasting Mike Trout's good years. And if you think about it, the AL 
West was not very good when Mike Trout came in, when they got Albert Pujols, when they had, you know, some pretty good pitching. The AL West was not a very good division in baseball. Now it's one of the stronger ones because you have the Mariners kind of having a come up, the Astros playing, you know, being the World Series champions. Your Texas Rangers being, you know, trying to get everything together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, after the Rangers World Series appearances in 10-11, the A's went on and uh, made a playoff one run, made a playoff run one year. Then it was kind of the Rangers on top of the division fighting with the Astros for a little bit, and you know, the past two maybe three years. Uh, it seemed like the Angels is just the one team. That, they never finished last in the division. They always just hover around the middle. It's, it's just kind of a little, little disappointing to see some talent like that and just like Mike, Ta- Mike Trout not be able to get anywhere in the playoffs yet. Maybe it's time to let go of Mike Sosha. That is that. I mean, that's a take that I would have. Now moving on. The worst. Audio of the week. Grunge. I think grunge. You're, you're oh, well, grunge. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, there is cringe-worthy music out there of like, uh, call me maybe Friday. Maybe a couple, yeah, Friday. A couple. Call me maybe. That, that's a good song. Leave Carly Rae Jepsen out of this. Yeah. Well, you know, she I do like. Song in hey, I do good. like. Uh, I do like. I really, 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 really like you. Just because of the video <laughs> with Tom Hanks. I love that. I love that so much. All right. Now, last week we talked about it. I went three and two with my picks. This week I have the picks that Brendan lobbed me last week were arguably pretty easy. I didn't have a super a bunch of super hard picks. I did get TC wrong because I was, you know, rooting for the Texas team. That's on me. And never bet on the Buffalo Bills, period, ever. Now I'm moving on to Brendan's picks. Thursday, same day they announced the AL MVP, they announced the NL MVP. Right now, Giancarlo Stin in the Vegas books is a plus 150 to win the NL MVP. Paul Goldschmidt, former Texas State alum, Plus 300. So, Brendan, let's go. First pick. Giancarlo Stanton or Paul Goldschmidt for NL MVP? Yeah, it's definitely coming down to just those two players. Took me a lot of tossing and turning last night thinking about this. You know, my heart wants me to go Paul Goldschmidt for the Texas State reasons. And, you know, I've always had it like, I kind of like the Diamondbacks, like their team, like their colors. Uh, pretty cool thing. Always a good way to think about what, what their colors and team look like. Uh, but then Stanton having his year at the 59 home runs, 100 and you know, the, uh, all the RBIs that he had, 59 home runs, 132 RBIs, 123 runs, and 159 games played. I'm going to, I'm still going to bet the underdog, though. I'm going with Paul Goldschmidt, a 297 average, 166 hits, 36 home runs, 120 RBIs, 117 runs, 18 stolen bases, and a big one that stuck out to me for the year, a 365 average with runners in scoring position, and to top it off, a gold glove. So, Taking the other dog, Paul Goldschmidt, NL MVP. I like Paul Goldschmidt to win NL MVP for a different reason. And his team made the playoffs. He, his team did make the playoffs. That's what I was going to get to. His team made the playoffs, but also if he wins an you know, NL MVP award, all of a sudden his Hall of Fame case, when it comes up, it's going to be a little bit stronger. Next going, uh, tw- Michigan at number 8, Wisconsin, this Saturday. Yeah, going to be a, another interesting one. College game day is going to be there. Uh, Michigan coming off a win. Wisconsin undefeated right now. I'm leaning towards the Badgers. They just a really stout defense. They can move the ball a little bit offensively. Michigan hasn't been too impressive. I think Wisconsin's gonna get another one. You giving us a score? I actually do have a score in here. Twenty three to twenty, Wisconsin. Wow, okay, so minus three Wisconsin. UCLA at number twelve, USC. It's gonna be a shootout. And you put this you put this game on here just because we're both uh we talk about Rosen and Darnold all the time and we're both on the Josh Rosen side in that debate. Uh, but I still think USC has the all-around better team, uh, and it's going to be a high-scoring. It's going to be a high-scoring affair. Both teams average 35 points per game on the season. 
but you think the difference is UCLA gives up 38 points per game, while USC is about 26. And I, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game like that. Uh, give me USC 35. No, actually, USC 38, UCLA 28. Wow, okay. So under over under 66. Okay, I like that. New England at Oakland Sunday. Another, on this one, I decided to, I'm going with New England, coming off a Sunday night win over uh, Denver. And I know it says New England at Oakland. That game's actually going to be played in Mexico City. So it's not a true home field. New England, who, like I said, played in Denver on Sunday. They're going to stay in Denver for the week and then go to New Mexico, New, go to Mexico instead of going back to New England and going to Mexico. And their offense has looked, pretty, has looked really good, and I think the Raiders won't be ready for it. Okay, and then the last one, Philadelphia at Dallas. Not only am I doing this because you're a Dallas fan, but I'm doing this because this is the game of the week. Yeah, Sunday night, primetime. Dallas not a good showing against Atlanta. Philly, a bye week. I'm not just going to pain me to say it. It's going to be one of those, I hope I'm wrong, but Philadelphia's been a better team. I think Philadelphia wins. Really? Yeah, I'm not afraid afraid to pick against my team, Uh, especially after the way Dallas performed without Tyron Smith, uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, against Atlanta. The offense couldn't move the ball at all. Defense struggled a little bit when Sean Lee went out and just struggled for most part of the year in that secondary. So uh, I'm not, I didn't feel good about Dallas going into yesterday's game, not feeling great about it uh, next week. I want to talk a little bit about that uh, with a little bit of time we have left. I want to kind of mention that you said Tyrone Smith wasn't there, but Ezekiel Elliott didn't play either. Which had the bigger impact on the loss for the Cowboys? Oh, it's Tyron Smith. Really? Adrian Claiborne had six sacks yesterday on that left side going against Chaz Green. Uh, who the Rangers or the Rangers, the Cowboys spent about a mid round. I believe it was about a third round pick on him a couple of years ago to be a an extra lineman who could take over one day if one of these linemen left. Uh, never really lived up to it. So he's been struggling. He was getting beat all day by Adrian Claiborne. The Cowboys didn't put any help against him. You know, a tight end, a running back, the chip on him, and he just had a complete field day. Even after a while, they took Jazz Green out, put in Byron Bell, another young lineman they drafted, I believe, in the last few years, and. He, on the second play, gave up a sack right there. Dak had no chance to do anything. So where would you put Ezekiel Elliott, the Dak, the Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, who has more impact on the Cowboys? Which one do you put now? Uh, if I have a completely healthy line, I still think I, I think it's Dak Prescott. People like to say, people use the narrative all the time for both players, oh, they're only good because of the offensive line, blah, blah, blah. And yes, they've had the luxury of playing with a great offensive line, so it has... It has played a role in their tendencies and how they play and how they've kind of gotten comfortable, how they're used to playing. And I think it showed last night that Dak wasn't used to playing without having uh, his having his left tackle and getting hit that many times, that much under pressure. I definitely think Zeke's absence does play an effect, but that's the reason they had you know a former Pro Bowl and Alfred Morris and and a bunch of these weapons on offense with Williams and uh, Williams, Dez, Witten, all those guys. So Ezekiel Elliott fled the country, actually ran away, getting his mind ready, getting getting prepared to come back after the six-game suspension. So he'll be riding the bench for a little bit. Thank you for listening to the Riding the Pine podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to get off the bench and get out there. Thanks for listening.